Hey guys, this is Jenny Allen, and you are listening to the Made for This podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to today's episode of the Made for This podcast. Today, you get to hear from a very special friend of Jenny's. Her name is Jo Saxton. She is an author, a speaker, a podcaster, and a leadership coach. And she just recently came out with an amazing book called Ready to Rise. So you can find that on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. And make sure to check out her podcast called Lead Story. So get ready, get out your pencil and your notebook, and enjoy this conversation with Jenny and Joe Saxton. Well, I am excited to have one of my friends with me today. Not just one of my friends, I am officially... As of this morning, one of her top fans on you Facebook. Just, that is a mess. I was awarded a badge on Facebook this morning saying you have officially become one of Joe Saxton's biggest fans. I felt like it was literally prophetic. Like, of course, Facebook knew <laughs> that this was in my heart. That of course, of course it knew. So oh, dear. I know it's a little bit of bragging, you know, here, but anyway, you guys her new book is absolutely needed and incredible. It is a deep passion of mine and it is a very, very deep passion of hers to see women rise up to the callings that God has put on their lives, to live out the purposes that he has for them and to not play it safe. And again and again and again, you have pushed me in this friend. I feel like you are my um, unpaid personal counselor. I should look into paying you more. Um, You continue to push me in my leadership and help me rise up. So I'm excited for you to get to do that with our people today. So why don't we start real quickly and just you tell everybody a little bit about your passion. I want you to go to this leadership passion that you have of yours and, and where it comes from and why is this so deep in your bones? I think there are two things. First of all, thank you for having me and for being my fan. <laughs> I think there are two things, two formative things that come to mind immediately. One is I would say that I was the last to understand I was a leader. My teachers knew it at school. The sports coaches understood it. My enemies knew it at school, <laughs> you know what I mean? That I would gather people in a particular direction, but I didn't see it. I did not know. I did not get it. Even when I was taking responsibility for things, I enjoyed being part of taking responsibility, but I didn't know that that meant I was doing something with it. And it was only because of the investment of others, the encouragement of others, the discipling and the mentoring of others and, and mentoring about what that meant in terms of dealing with the junk in your life and getting it out of the way, hearing what God is saying to you, diving into his word. All of it, I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for that. I just wouldn't. It, I mean, it's mm. as simple as that because I didn't see it and I didn't see myself in other people. I didn't see it represented in front of me. And so when you don't see it, it's always, it's not always clear to know. So that was one, one part of it. And I think the other, I keep on coming back to is looking at from the very beginning, God called his people to do something. Do you know what I mean? There was that sense of him giving these gifts and giving these abilities and, and us being made in his image to represent him in the world. So for me, it's like, I'm always asking him what does it look like to represent him? What does it look like to be his ambassador? That's got to be more than a feeling. What does it look like to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world around us? I think that's my lasting thought, I guess, an emotion on it all. I want to read a quote out of the book. It says, 
There was no moment for me when I suddenly felt confident about having gifts worth using or influence that could make a positive impact on the world around me. That shocks me, Joe. Having watched your confidence that there was that insecurity in you at some point is just, it blows my mind. So talk just a little bit about that and how you're seeing that in other women and how that frustrates you. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's that you don't live beyond what you believe about yourself and what you think about yourself. So I... And I grew up in a very, in London in a very tense time. Well, and I, I'd like to say it was only then, but it's a very tense time racially, very tense time um, for immigrant communities. I'm from an immigrant family and not everybody by any stretch, but the tabloids, it was tense. It was difficult. It was painful. We were other, we were not um, seen as people of value. And even when you don't believe that to be true, you're still fighting to prove something. Or at least we were, <laughs> at least I was. I, I think between that and just insecurities that I grew up with about my worth and value left me wondering. I think that who do you think you are is one of the biggest questions that went through my head. I was like, so that's great. You have a dream and passion. Who are you? <laughs> and what makes you think that you have something to say or something to offer or something to give that could help someone else? Or who do you think you are? Aren't you arrogant for having those, why are you making this all about you kind of thing? Those were some of the ideas and the thoughts that were going through my mind Mm. and that I had to fight back or push away or process in some way. What I found with women often, Jenny, is that the first battle in the mind, I mean, you know, you know well about this because you've written so well on it and stuff is the battle of the mind can deal with it completely from the very beginning before Mm -hmm. you even try an idea that Mm -hmm. that battle going on in your head can determine who you're going to love what you're going to do, what you're saying no to, and and so quickly. So quickly. Yeah. I mean, I think it is. It's a war. And I've watched what's encouraging is since I've known you and since we've been a part of building If Gathering, I have watched women embrace this in new ways. And I really do believe the time is right for this. There are so many needs and women have a desire to meet them. I want to talk about a word that you use a lot, I want to talk about influence and I want you to define it for everybody and talk about what you mean when you say it. Yeah. When I'm, when I'm thinking of influence, it's the capacity you have to impact somebody else's life. You can impact the way they think, the conditions they live in, the world they inhabit, the way they perceive themselves. Influence is you shaping somebody else and everybody is shaping someone else. Everyone. You may be shaping them for a moment, impacting their day. You may impact their decade. You know, whether it's our family members, the way we treat, the way we speak to people, love people, reject people, empower people, shapes their entire destinies or has the potential to. So we are incredibly influential. Yes, in our parenting, in our in our friendshipping, if that was a plural. <laughs> I don't mean in the kind of friends we are. And um, we don't always remember, like when we think of our Sunday school teachers and all that, we don't even remember what they said as much as we remember who they were. People remember who you were to them, the kind of neighbor you are, the kind of colleague you are, the kind of Bible study leader you are, the kind of client you are, customer you are in a grocery store. We are influencing 24-7. Mm. And so I want to talk about the issue of fear, because this is certainly something you've written a lot about, you are very passionate about. What do you think it is with women in fear? Is it just our lot? Like, is this our curse? (laughs) What do you think that role plays in all this story? Yeah, I think it's our battle. I think it's one of our major battles because we are so afraid of getting it wrong or being wrong or afraid of something being wrong with us, afraid of being too much, afraid of being not enough, 
I mean, the list is endless, <laughs> that it can stop us from even beginning to move forward. And afraid of showing up. I think there's a lot of passion about showing up and excitement about showing up. But I've seen many, and, I, and I, I think you would agree, I've seen many really gifted, talented, godly women, and they are gifted in a range of ways. They may be gifted in the workplace, they may be gifted within their community in some way, but they hide their gifts and call it humility. Yeah. Oh, I can't. That was me. That's my whole story. I absolutely thought I was being humble and playing it good for everyone if I just sat on the back row with my gifts. I absolutely, when I read that you wrote that, I was like, yes. That is what that is exactly my story. Is I blamed it on humility and thought I am being so godly. I'm letting other people do it. And yet at the same time, I was absolutely suppressing obedience and what God had called me to do all that time. And I think it leaves a lot of women conflicted, just in this incredible conflicted feeling of wanting to do the right thing by the world around them, wanting to do the right thing by the Lord, but hiding, hiding, hiding in just in case. It was almost as though we're dangerous for living into our calling. And yeah. or dangerous for being obedient. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of danger you want. So this is what you wrote too, is that we need people who will voice new dreams, new culture shaping, community healing, justice and mercy, living potential, realizing life, giving God-inspired dreams, people who would be willing to play their parts and lead the way. Further still, we need to bring new ideas and see and act on the potential that a new landscape can bring. We need to create new ways of being, of living, and doing. We're making our own chapter of history, and the world needs your faith-fueled voice, gifts, and skills. It needs you to rise into your God-given influence and make a positive impact. So you need to clear the debris and the obstacles standing in the way, unapologetically live the life that you were made for. You'll need to dig deep to get there, and it might be a little uncomfortable at times, but it will be worth it. How has that been uncomfortable for you? Whew. I think there have been a number of, of things. It's been uncomfortable to face the pain and the, it's been uncomfortable to face fear. My fear mm. was rejection. My fear was whether I'd be judged and criticized and all, and here's the thing, all of them came <laughs> true. I was yep. right. Do you know what I mean? Yes, ma'am. It all happens. Um, it, it all happened. My fear was I no longer had any control of my life. And it's, the fear has manifested itself differently in different decades of my life. So in my 20s, my fear was if I really go for God, will I get married? Oh. It was almost like if I tone myself down and settle down, then I do I get to settle down? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> because yeah. in, I, I watched all my friends get married. And although in, in, I got married at 29, and although that wasn't late in national terms in England, in the church terms, it was like, uh, <laughs> you know I mean, amongst my peers, I was at a church full of young adults and everybody was getting married at 23. And so at, in my 20s, my fear was, if I go for this, what will it cost me? And God, I love you and I want you to have my life, but I'm terrified yep. of this. In my 30s, it was like I had my babies when I was 31, 32. And I was like, God, I just, I'm trying to do the right thing here. Why are you giving me ideas now? Mm. Why are you, this doesn't make sense. And I think it was that it doesn't make sense was the part of it I couldn't understand. And there's something about that settling into certain parts of your life, but also some of my first big griefs and losses in terms of family members passing. And so you're mm. kind of sandwiched between these generations and thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. My body doesn't know what it's doing, frankly, <laughs> on anything, except moving south. Nothing is working. <laughs> it's like, Lord, you've called me, you've stirred me. What does it look like in the middle, in the middle of yeah. everything? 
And I was, and I was afraid if I, if I began to listen to the call of God, I wouldn't be as good a mother. I wouldn't be as good a wife. I wouldn't be as good a friend. I wouldn't be as good a daughter. I think now in my forties, it's different again. I'm just tired. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I think comfort can woo you. And don't get me wrong. All of these different fears can happen at any generation, can't they? I so relate to your, the timing of them though. I mean, I have the exact same ones. Now it's no longer pleasing people. Now it's comfort and not wanting to do hard things. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like, I could just go under the radar. Right. Do you know what I mean? I could go under the right. radar. No one would begrudge me right now, right. but we are in a moment. And you know, yeah. you and I have been talking about this for the past four or five years. We're in a moment and we don't know how long that moment lasts, but we're in a moment. And we didn't know that the landscape would change like it has Yeah. in terms of culturally. We are, it's like the maps and the GPS no longer works on what we thought, how life should be, you know? And, um, there are those of us who, even in this very moment, who have never called ourselves leaders or people of influence, are because we are wiping down grocery stores, are saving people's lives. You know, there are people who are being stretched up in ways they didn't believe because they, they yes, they, they planned to be a teacher. They did not know that they would be doing these online sessions and working out what special education looks like virtually. And having to help families be empowered and immigrant families and families in wealthy areas and in poor areas get all their kids educated. All our jobs are different. Our job descriptions mm-hmm. might, we might as well just throw them and like set fire to them because everything just yeah. changed. Your heart for your community just went through the roof now because mm-hmm. it looks different. And here we all are with new circumstances. Yeah. No roadmap or ro- where we're just looking at each other saying, what are you doing? How do you, because we don't know how it works. Yep. And yet still a calling. The calling didn't change. The, the, the call to influence, the being made in the image of God, the playing your part in the Great Commission didn't change. Even though you, your, I mean, and alongside all of that changing, we're being impacted massively too. Yeah. We're dealing with loss. We're dealing with vulnerability. We're dealing with pain. We're dealing with mm-hmm. uncertainty and fear. If we weren't afraid before, <laughs> we yeah. weren't afraid before. My goodness. Right. But I think, I think what's cool about this moment is we realize there's more on the line. I think there's something about uh, this season that's kind of woken us all up to, to go, okay, I really want to make sure my life is counting. I hope and I pray that everybody listening right now is already having conversations and praying about what does it look like to come out of this and, and what do we want to add back to our lives and what, what do we not want to add back to our lives. And I think the power of this book in this moment and why I would encourage all of you, this is a great time to read it, is to own the voice, to own the gifts, to own the authority and the influence that God has given you in your place. We are not talking about all of you going out and doing for Joe building leadership organization and helping leaders write all these things. For me, it's leading a nonprofit organization and being a writer and teacher too. And so it's we're not talking about that. We're talking about whatever God has called you to do, to do that to the fullest but we've all got to step into that because there's so much need and you feel it when you know everything hits the fan which it just did i want to talk about even just what you see as the unique timing of this message coming out in this time frame because i feel like it's absolutely divine and providential it's weird isn't it because you write something a while back and you don't really know the moment that you're going to be in but I guess I had my my expectation and then what I'm realizing. So my expectation was, okay, we're just going to get everybody to get passionate. <laughs> but the reality is in scripture and actually for many of our lives is calling is often uncovered in times of pressure and tragedy mm. and pain. You know, when you look at, if you look at all the leaders called in the Bible, 
Esther's such a time as this was in the face of genocide. Moses delivered people from slavery and he's like, God, could you send somebody else? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, so many callings. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, intense pressure, intense pain. Joseph, famine. And so I think because we are being stretched in a climate that we didn't expect, because so much is uncertain, and yet because, like you said, this is a key moment, I guess what I'm grateful for about this time, grateful about sharing this at this time, is that this is giving you tools for a world you didn't expect <laughs> and for an influence maybe you didn't expect to ask for, but that God has given you. Because like you said, it may be that your influence is, you're going to make some phone calls that, that help people in the midst of desperate loneliness. That's right. It may be that you're going to donate to a food bank and that is feeding families. That is the difference in a family eating or not eating that month. One of the things I talk about in the book is about unwrapping the gifts God has given you. And I think we, a lot of us have left a lot of gifts unwrapped. We've left our talents and we just, oh, well, they don't fit into things. Well, nothing fits right now, but our right. God is faithful and he may want you to unwrap some things so that you can be his hands and his feet in a broken world. And we know a lot of that is virtual right now. Then let's take up space there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think what we've got to realize is there's a lot of people who are lonely. There's a lot of people who would be honored in, to be invited or included into your small group, into whatever type of book club you have, What you know, and I would encourage you to host them around Joe's book. Just bring people in and take initiation, whatever that looks like. And I promise you, people are going to appreciate it because there is just, I mean, again, we had a lonely epidemic before this. It just grew. So how do we how do we meet those needs? Yeah, I think what you're saying is, hey, it's all of us. It's going to take all of us. I, and I think you make it, I think it's a wonderful point. Like we forget the power of being a friend, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We forget the power of being a neighbor. We forget the power of being compassionate. In a time when everybody is feeling fearful, compassion goes a long way. And maybe the maybe each day, or each week, we can ask ourselves and our household, and I know some of us are living with roommates and so, or whatever, saying, what does it look like to be compassionate today? Who can we bless today? Who can we serve today? How can we help somebody else today? That those things could be things that could change somebody's life. You mm -hmm. know, who can I have a virtual coffee with today? And what difference does that make? I think mm -hmm. those are things that we could even begin to do just to get moving. Okay, I want to talk about pitfalls because this is where I live. I live in the pitfalls. So now that somebody might be using their gifts and, and say, I'm in, and they want to see what God has for them, what are ways that we could fall in this? And this is a really poignant question that you asked me at one point that I've never forgotten, which was, well, how is our generation of women going to fall? Like, what are our idols going to be? What are we going to get distracted by? Assuming that we're up and running and rising to the challenges that God has for us. Yeah, there are a couple of things that I'm even kind of making sure I'm paying closer attention to right now, because I think they heighten in crisis as well. One is false humility, as we've said. Um, it can seem really noble to hide. It can seem really godly to say, I'm just going to wait and actually not call it fear or fear of not being good enough or, or whatever. Um, so I think that's something to watch for and just be aware of. I, I mean, not to punish it, but just to be aware of saying, you know, you're walking with the father and actually this isn't about you. It's about, mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's not about whether you're doing this in some strange way. It's about 
the glory of God and, and serving a broken world. I think the other thing that's really important for us to consider when we're looking at pitfalls are some of our vices, um, our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, our wounds, and particularly about how this moment has exacerbated them. You know, how crisis can put you under a lot of pressure. And do you find that there are particular habits that you're not proud of that you kind of lean into more? Are you numbing yourself in some way? Because we're overwhelmed. You know, um, do you find yourself drinking things that actually aren't good for you to be drinking? Do you find yourself eating in ways that you know are a reflection of a pain in your life in some way? And again, the thing is, we can get to, oh my gosh, all these things are terrible. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm asking is, what is stirring within you right now? And how does fear work its way out in your life? Do you feel the need to control? Are there particular wounds that are just overwhelming your story right now? And because we're trying to be responsible, we're trying to make sure our kids are homeschooled well, we're trying to make sure we're good on our budgets, we're, tr we're trying <laughs> because we're trying, and now we've got to be influential too, we're not actually paying attention to the broken pieces of our story and the wounds. And I really want to encourage us to make sure that we're attending to those things because they, but, well, because you're important. You, because, mm. because you're his kid and you're important. And so the pitfall is not having the wounds the pitfall is not having the vulnerability. The pitfall is not addressing it. And I think sometimes we want to perform and just show we're doing well. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think one thing you and I've seen in each other's lives again and again too, is just, we need each other to do this well, right? Like oh we're going to, some of those vices and things get worked out in community and running alongside other people that ask great questions, which you've done again and again in my life. Let's talk about that role of other people in our lives as we, as we live this out. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm convinced that if we're going to live into influence, we do it as a village. We may not all do the same thing, but you need people. We, and, and that's one of the agonizing things we're realizing in this moment, how much we need people. We need to be face-to-face. -face. But if we can't be face-to-face -face in a physical sense, what does it look like to be in a virtual sense? And it may feel awkward in the beginning. How do you do vulnerability on some kind of, <laughs> on some platform in some way, whether you're on Zoom or WebEx or whatever you're thinking, or Skype or whatever your thing is, or FaceTime. But, but those are habits we need to cultivate in this moment. When we look at the life of Jesus, he washed his disciples' feet. And then he said, you wash one another's feet. Mm. So I want to know who is washing away the wounds of your day? Who is washing away the weariness you feel right now? Who is washing away all the pressures of your stories? And for some of us, we may need to check in with someone professional on that. But I'm talking about like, it's been a long day and you're tired and you feel overwhelmed and, you, and you're grieving the life that you once had. You're grieving because of the loneliness, because you didn't design your life to be alone. You're grieving the loss of your career. Who's, who's sitting with you in that? We need people in this moment. And mm -hmm. I, I want to encourage us. This moment may reveal the things we don't have, but it can reveal the things we can build as well. Yeah, that's right. That's the hope I hope you all leave with is just not pressure, but that there are things that maybe you've realized in this season that you need and that you don't have right now. And those things can be built, whether that is more purpose or people to wash their feet or whether it's people to wash yours, you can build and be intentional with both of those things and come out of this different than you went in. And that's why I really believe in the timeliness of this book. And I, I really hope that you'll get it. And before we go, Joe, I would just love to hear if there's one thing that you hope people walk away with from this. Like, I mean, I've heard you weep over people's 
lives and how to help them and how to help them lead and how to help them live this out further. This is so deep in you. And I just want you to have a chance to get to share what you've shared with me privately, what you hope for them. My hope is that people realize, yes, his love for them and his purpose in their lives. But actually the best, I will tell a story. Uh, That's the easiest way. I know I've told you about this woman um, who discovered who she was in the midst of tragedy. And she discovered who she was in the midst of desperate loss and discovered uh, in World War II that she she was a now this was a woman who her name was Emily May Butterfield and she was a woman who she left after an elementary school education because a teacher had called her out and called her stupid and she ran away and never went back during World War II she um, was helping out with the war effort in England and then later began to look after children and was inspired by people who were looking after children during war got involved she was a young single woman and kept on doing it did it for 20 30 40 years kept on going even though she always felt out of her depth she didn't know what she was doing she didn't know how she could help anybody she was aware of her limitations and yet she was changing lives and then when she was about 70 about 70 she was approached after a lifetime of looking after kids whether she would do it one more time and it was a preschooler and a baby And she looked after them for a number of years, doing what she always did. Again, feeling out of her depth, but fostering, sorting, and looking after kids. And years, years later, years, years later, the preschooler is married, father, works in international finance, and I'm the baby. I think her story, her story's come, I call her my Aunt May, and her story comes a lot to me in this moment. Because she was a woman who felt out of her depth. She was a woman who didn't feel that the world would not remember and yet in the midst of a global situation, a global tragedy of a war, she did the next thing. She just did something. She knew she liked kids and she knew she could help them. And that was it. And that determined her legacy. And so I, I offer her story to you for every one of us who is overwhelmed right now, who is out of their depth right now, who is grieving and doesn't know where this world ends right now, who is clinging to God, but feeling like you're sliding down as you do it. I offer it to you in the midst of your lost jobs and your grieving and your agony and your pain. And yet that kind of flickering passion to do something, but it doesn't make sense. And I encourage you to offer him your hands and say, just give me something. And and it may not even make sense and be clear, but we don't know how we're leaving legacies in this moment. Uh, And y'all, he answers those prayers. I mean, he answers them. I can't tell you how many times I've just prayed that. Like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you you need me to do? And the doorbell rings. I mean, it's just, this is how he works. He's sitting there waiting to for us to live out the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do he will bring it to you so i just i love your willingness i love your heart friend i'm grateful to get to share you with all of our people i know they appreciated it so thanks so much for being here Okay, this community has blown us away. There are thousands and thousands of you out there that are part of this community, and we're just so grateful. And so the way you can tell us that you're out there is to subscribe and to leave a review. So come be a deeper part of this community. Let's go places. My heart has been to make disciples through this thing. I hope that you feel that. I hope that you feel like you're growing, that you feel like you're taking ground for the kingdom. And anyway, I just love you being here, and I want you to know how much you mean to me.